Welcome to the Front Desk Goddess Diaries. My name is Amy and I'm a personal practice coach for the Brady Group. I've had the pleasure of working with dental practices across the globe and you know what I've discovered? Everyone has the same challenges. I'm excited to share wisdom that I've gained from great dental practices just like yours. So today I have Kathleen with me co-hosting. Hey Amy! Glad to be back. We are excited to um, be together today. We're going to talk about basketball. We're right in the middle of March Madness, and it is madness. It's do, do not crazy. change your dial. You might think it's ESPN, but it is not. <laughs> it is still Amy and Kathleen. Do not worry. That's right. That's right. But we're going to talk today about some things we can learn from March Madness that uh, we can apply to our teams. And whether you're a basketball fan or not, you're gonna really find this helpful today. Don't don't disengage just because you're not a sports fan. Um, I was in band, guys, okay, and, and so. <laughs> and I was in drill team, but we're gonna act like we know what we're talking about. <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, but there are four points we're gonna make today that I think are super important that we've picked up and Kathleen and I've had conversations about as we've uh, been kind of engaged in March Madness here the last couple of weeks. Yes. Four things we're gonna talk about. One lesson we can learn, those with the deepest benches survive the madness. Second thing, don't be a ball hog. Three, you have to be prepared. And four, don't get too caught up in your successes or failures. Yes. So Kathleen, Let's talk about those with the deepest benches survive the madness. Well, I mean, you've seen it. It's, you know, whether it's an injury, um, sickness. I mean, last year we saw that just even with COVID. Um, players suspended. Uh, players get in foul trouble. We've seen plenty of teams that they have to rely on their bench during the tournament because, I mean, in some cases there's a significant drop-off, but in others you don't know much different. I mean, you're looking at the score and you think, Wow, they must have their starters out there. So you have to be able to survive. That's right. And uh, having a deep bench, in other words, the, the uh, players on the bench, not just the starting five, but they are at a similar level. I mean, they are, are strong players. They get playing time. They know what they're doing. Um, they prepare well in practice, whether they're going to be on the bench or not. So what if someone on your team has to be out? Well, we even saw that um, just last week with Michigan. Um, if those, you know, have been paying attention at all, I mean, they started their tournament without their main point guard, um, Devontae Jones is his name, but fortunately they had the benefit of a bench. He had a concussion in practice mm. and he knew immediately that he was going to miss the, the first game. And how sad for a kid that worked, I think he's a fifth year player to work that hard and to know immediately, I'm not going to get to play. Mm. Um, but they had to rely on their bench. Um, Absolutely. And they, and they got the win in that first game because they had a great bench. And he was cheering on the, the sidelines just as loud as anybody. Yeah, and they're still in it. They're and still they're still in it, in it yes. Um, but, yeah, what if someone in your office has to be out? Do you have systems in place uh, to where that, that's going to work? Or do you have systems where only one of you knows what's going on? Because... There are going to be times you miss a player or two from your lineup. And in, in the same way, you have to have backup ready to fill in when someone's out. And if you don't have those fully developed systems and you don't have things in place, you haven't cross-trained or delegated, now's the time. All right. The second thing, don't be a ball hog. <laughs> Guys, you, you can't do this alone. 
uh, superstar mentality. It's uh, you know looking at hotshot players. They might draw short-term benefit, but they're not going to sustain. Uh, and yeah. frankly, if you've got a superstar on your team, they can almost be the demise of your team. And um, you know if you watch much basketball at all, which I am not an expert by any means. Kathleen knows way we more claim than I to be. do. We claim to be experts, Amy. Come on. <laughs> but don't you notice, Kathleen, when when a team's not running their offense and they're not being patient and not relying on each other? I mean, they just can and kind of abandon the whole thing and take success into their own hands. Yeah, well, and I think it's, you know, we all, we, out of frustration, we all get frustrated. Um, sometimes it's panic. Sometimes it's, you know, they glance up at that scoreboard and, and they panic. I think other times it's maybe just a lack of trust. Mm-hmm. Um, they think, you know, it, it's on my shoulders. I, I've got to, I've got to do this, or I've got to make these free throws, or whatever it is. But I think when some players even get the ball, that instead of looking around to see, you know, what's the best position to take a shot, they try and you know do crazy things. They go through the heavy traffic. They throw up an ugly shot. I mean, we've seen so many mm-hmm. people just chunk up threes. That it's like that's never going to go in. Right. But. Or even sometimes they trip over their own players, and that's not, that's not good. It's kind of getting in the way. But those players, I mean, they can change the whole outcome of a game by just creating, you know, division among the team by not doing what they have practiced and practiced day after day, hour after hour. But they, they just, you know, get frustrated, panic. They, it's a number of things that can happen. Right, right. Well, in that ball hog thing, it's like, gee, I, I you know, I'm just going to do this. Mm-hmm. I, uh I'm not going to rely on my team. I'm not going to going to do that. And if we look at um, just talking to to Lonnie, my husband, this morning, and we we invited him to be he a guest. declined our offer. I'm still upset uh, about. He that. declined our offer. I wanted to tap into his wisdom and his um, you know uh, information, but it asked him. You know, we were talking about the NBA and the most valuable player criteria and what that looks like. And I did come across a tweet here a few days ago and was talking about how last year Steph Curry thought he should be MVP. He had great numbers, yeah. but... Well, and, and but the Warriors, you know, they were ninth in their conference. So it's, you know, it did he try and take on too much of a ball hog role because the, he didn't maybe encourage the other people on his team to be as good as he is. So when, and when we see, you know, that a starter is not having the best game on the bench... Not, not having the best game. I love it when they're on the bench cheering for the next player up. I think that's always um, a sign of a really good team when, you know, and we all have off days. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all have things that come up that it's just, you're not on your A game. And somebody's got to come in and, you know, and, but when we're cheering for that person, it's just ultimately we're making them better. Absolutely. And that's the thing we have to ask ourselves. In your team in the office, are you making those around you better? If you're taken off the team for whatever reason, if you're sick, something comes up, you know, you you know, have a flat tire on the way to work, I mean, are they still going to be able to do well without you? Or do you feel like Steph Curry? <laughs> you know, that you're the MVP yeah. because you do more than anyone else, but you're on a losing team. Right. Um, you know, we, uh, that, that, um, kind of brings to mind a practice I talked to this week that is fairly new on our coaching program. And, uh, you know, there, we're kind of getting some systems in place and talking about measuring progress and things like that. And we set some goals based on their particular situation. And once we established those goals, the, um, front office said, you know what, 
um, this is stressful. It's all, <clears throat> excuse me, all on our shoulders to succeed. And if we don't, everybody's going to be upset with us. Mm. So, yeah, I, yeah. I almost, and I know this isn't their intent, but that almost smells like arrogance to me. Well, and kind of going back to Steph Curry, it's like, I mean, the criteria for MVP isn't always the one that puts the most points on the board. What about the one who did the most just to advance the team's goals as a whole and get them to where they needed to be? Exactly. So, so back to, you know, those people, it's like they maybe are, you know, maybe they need to be a better encourager to the, the other people in the office on their team instead of just thinking it's all on me, it's all on me. Because it's never that way. It's not. But sometimes, I think in the dental office, we can, um, for whatever reason, there, there's been a culture created where there's one person that's kind of, you know, whether we call that person the office manager or whatever, they've been charged with the task of making everything happen. Mm -hmm. And from the outside looking in, when I see situations like that where that culture's been created, it can be toxic, it can be very divisive, um, and same thing on a basketball team or any team for that matter. You know, you have one superstar who is responsible for making, you know, win or lose. Mm -hmm. That's not good. And then you go back to that where, you know, maybe somebody gets in foul trouble or somebody has a sick kid at home mm -hmm. or a family emergency. And then that person's not in the office. Does everybody just crumble and fall apart? Because, oh, how are we going to, you know, do our job without our superstar you can't have that mentality. Absolutely not. This reminds me, there's a book, it's a great book if you guys haven't read it. It's called Flight of the Buffalo. Uh, it's a book on leadership. And one of the um, kind of uh, mental pictures that the author shares in that book is that of, of geese flying, a flock of geese flying. And if you notice, they always fly in a V. Mm -hmm. You know why they do that, Kathleen? Is it, well, this is what I have heard. So that the one leader then that person that the leader takes it to the back and then another leader steps up so that person can have a break. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Okay. So, you know, I guess I don't know all the physics involved in all of this, but basically my understanding is that head goose creates kind of this tail, you know, kind of a suction that pulls everybody mm -hmm. else along and makes it easier for the rest of the flock <laughs> to mm -hmm. to travel. But that is hard work. Mm -hmm. So periodically that goose has to, to step back in the, the back yeah. of the V so he can rest mm -hmm. and one other can kind of get up. So that's what Flight of the Buffalo, um, that metaphor, they, they talk about shared leadership mm -hmm. and how if we have a direction we're going, everybody knows we're flying south for the winter, mm -hmm. <laughs> then the geese can do that. They have shared leadership. They can take turns leading um, and that's what leadership ought to look like in yeah. your office. You know, we're all human. Yeah. Now, your dentist is human, your office manager, your team lead, everybody mm -hmm. in your office is human, mm -hmm. and they get tired, and they have to step back sometimes. Right. So when I hear them flying over my house <laughs> in the winter, <laughs> they're cheering each other on. That's what they're doing, Amy. That's, that's what... right. Yay, leader! Yay, leader! I love that. <laughs> <laughs> So that's exactly right. So what are we doing? Are, are we um, trying to stay up front and lead and we're exhausted and we're tired and we're about to fall out the mm -hmm. sky because we yeah. just don't have the energy and won't let anybody else help? No. That's awful. Don't yeah. do that. That's so yeah, every, every role in the office is so valuable. And, you know, in the Brady Group, we coach the case acceptance process and there is no one person on the team 
that can do it as effective as all of the parts working together. Mm -hmm. um, so make sure that you guys aren't relying. Leaders, doctors, are you relying too much on one superstar? Where if you lost that person, you don't know what you would do? Yeah. That's a really bad place you to be. You don't need in. Steph Curry and you don't need the head goose. You need, you need everybody. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. So the next one, you've got to be prepared. So, you know, you look at these guys traveling all over for March Madness and I'm, I forget they're student athletes. Yes. I know. <laughs> what I know. is happening? <laughs> when do they do schoolwork? Or, or they're on spring break. And True. this is, I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, so it's like. There, I mean, of course, they would all, you know, rather be exactly where they are playing basketball instead of being with, you know, friends on the beach and mm -hmm. whatever. But, oh, my goodness. they're I mean, they're giving up so much, but they're so excited to be there. They are. And, you know, they're involved in these long practices, and they're spending hours yes. watching film, and, and, you know, they're just immersed in this whole thing. What about the dental practice? What if, uh, you know, we're not in watching film and doing all these things, although maybe you should watch yourself uh, interact with patients. That's a thought. Yes. Um, but anyhow, yeah, you have to be prepared just like they are. You have to prepare. You know, what would it look like if you spent, um, you know, they've got a one-hour game mm -hmm. or, you know, I mean, it's whatever, 40, 40 minutes. Um and how much time do they spend preparing for that 40-minute game, do you think? And hours and days and weeks and months. It's, yes. Yeah. I it's mean, just such a process for that. You're right. For just that one 40-minute that turns into a three-hour game. Yeah. But, yes, that one little thing. Well, um, and just as, you know, every coach holds his team accountable after every game, mm -hmm. a as a leader, you need to find ways to make sure your team is engaged and ready for anything that might come their way that, that could get in the way of, you know, reaching their goal, mm -hmm. um, achieving that, that vision. Um, full disclosure, <laughs> I am an Aggie, went to Texas A&M. Not, <laughs> not sad at all that A&M isn't in the tournament. Ha, they should have been, they were robbed. But um, I, I've, I've gotten up past that. Um, but Amy and I have two daughters, have daughters that are both at the University of Arkansas. Um, so we are on the must bus. Blue March Madness. So right. Eric Musselman is the coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks, and we absolutely love his leadership. We love his coaching. We love how he's engaged all the students. Um, he prepares just, you know, so much, just getting the entire student body on his side. He is, he's just, he knows how a culture can make or break a team. And, and just, we watch how they, we follow him on Twitter and, you know, all the players. It's just so fun to see. But how they travel. So right now, they're playing tonight in San Francisco. They played last week in <laughs> Buffalo. But he did the same thing in Buffalo. He got every San Francisco Giants t-shirt, 49ers hats, um, the Golden State Warriors paraphernalia, and he gave it to all of his players mm -hmm. and all of his coaching staff. And that's what they're wearing on the plane. And that's what they're wearing around town. Also with their Razorback gear on, too. But it's he wants them to embrace where they are and take it all in. And I just think that's such a cool mentality that he is, you know, just a culture that he has provided for his team. Absolutely. And, you know, when you spend that time together, um, traveling, obviously, I mean, it's a unique situation. Uh, they, they're close. They, they are. are close. And, you know, I get it. We can't uh, travel around like they do all over the place. It would be fun. But, you know, what are you doing with your team outside of, the dental office. Mm -hmm. You know, do you know each other just as my coworker? 
I mean, golly, they just connect so mm -hmm. much. And I guarantee you that's what affects their performance on the court. We talked about um, in our coaching program, Dr. Brady's recently talked about high fives and touches and how, you know, um, the you know basketball teams have been studied. And those who touch the most with high fives, pats on the back, um, are the winning teams. And there's a lot to be said for that. But, you know, looking at this being prepared, um, Chris Likes, who's one of the players uh, on the Arkansas Razorback basketball team, he's the shortest one. Well, fun fact, he's the shortest in the entire tournament. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and he's 5'7 in your program, but which means he's probably 5'4. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he's a little guy, and it's so fun to see him buzzing around on the court, you know, amidst all those really tall people. But uh, game against uh, a game that ultimately won them their spot in the Sweet 16 against uh, New Mexico State, which is a really good team. They've got a, um, some great players on there. But he hit some free throws at a really critical time. Um, totally changed the energy in that game because New Mexico State was giving them a heck of a time. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, you know, in the post-game conference, he was asked directly, hey, how'd you do that? How'd You know, man, you were just like um, – just did a great job. How'd you make those free throws at such a critical time? And he said, it's what's expected of me, uh, and it's bigger than myself. It's a team game. And see, and that's my favorite thing about the whole March Madness as a whole. And I, again, I am not a basketball person, but my daughter played basketball in high school. And so I learned to love the game and just the camaraderie. Mm -hmm. She was on a really good day, game, uh, team with Amy's daughter, which is how we got to be such good friends. But just watching these Cinderella teams, I mean, they're, you know, just the virtually unknown teams that make it to the big dance. And, I mean, just overcome with everything. The odds. They don't have any money in their program like these huge mm -hmm. schools, huge basketball schools. That's right. And with an upset, you know, it just makes it so much fun to watch them beat these higher-seeded teams. And, like, even, like, the St. Peter's Peacocks. I mean, how many people are talking about St. Peter's? I had not heard of St. Peter's. Yes, who's ever heard of the Peacocks? Until two weeks ago. I hey, mean, it's just great. Fun fact, do you know what the female athlete uh, mascot is at St. Peter's? No, I do not. The like, Peahens. The Peahens, oh my gosh. That's, <laughs> that's hilarious. So, anyway. Um, that's funny. But, yeah, talking about these uh, lower-seeded teams, the Cinderella teams, I remember several years ago the Sweet 16 was in Dallas, and so we took my daughter, and um, we didn't, you know um, – fork over how much it was going to be to go to a game, but we did go and watch practice. Um, and so we went and it was KU and Florida Gulf Coast Eagles and two other teams I can't remember right now, but yeah, the Florida Gulf Coast Eagles were the Cinderella team. Yes, they were. And I remember watching as they were coming into the gym and you see KU come out into the gym and they're super confident, um, you know, it's they looked very comfortable in their skin, but almost arrogant the mm -hmm. way they carried themselves. Uh, and this is just practice. And yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. Act like you've been there. I mean, just have confidence, whatever. But then you've got this Florida Gulf Coast team that nobody'd ever heard of, and they come out. And while they were confident, they were also extremely humble. And it was it was really fun to see them come out with their phones and just look at the enormity of the... And take it all in. Yeah. Yes, because it is. It's a big stage for mm -hmm. these kids. And, and it's like you can't help but cheer for them because, I mean, it's like David and Goliath. It's like you, right. you just want to cheer for the underdog. Absolutely. I love they're getting the, 
the attention that they they deserve. They work just as hard. They do, and and they you know how do they do it? These these lower seated teams definitely not with superstars. You know they have teams who obviously trust each other, believe in each other, have a great culture. They know their individual roles. They know the objective, and they play as one. And that's got to be the goal for your team as well. Right. So the last thing, Kathleen, what's our our fourth point? Well, is I just think you just hit it on the head. It's like don't get too caught up in your successes or your failures because um, basically it's a weakness to get caught up in either one of those. Mm-hmm. So when we saw that just um, on Saturday with the Baylor Bears, they were playing North Carolina, and Baylor was seated number one. They were down. They they were down big at Mm -hmm. one point in the game. And, I mean, I think pretty much everybody was in shock, but they pretty much rode off that game to North Carolina and early, pretty early on. But they managed to erase a 25-point deficit against North Carolina. They didn't end up winning, but they forced the game to go into overtime. And that was huge, 25 points deficit. Yeah, that is huge. And I think there was, if I'm remembering correctly, I mean, there wasn't, I mean, it, it, they were well into the second half mm-hmm. um, when they were, they were down 25 points. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, our Baylor friends <laughs> didn't Baylor quite Baylor end in the way they had hoped. But, um, you know, it, it, Baylor made history. They made history. I, I came across this a uh, little stat too. Um, they tie the 2012 BYU Cougars, and mm-hmm. uh, they had the largest comeback in NCAA tournament history, um, at 25 points. And for mm-hmm. BYU, they were actually uh, able to win that game, advancing uh, in the tournament. But um, you know, it, it's it's amazing if you look at situations where. A, a team like BYU or Baylor can mm-hmm. erase a 25-point deficit and turn the game around when people think they have no chance of surviving. That's, that's amazing. That's so, awesome. And I think we just turned that, this around to, you know, how does your team react to adversity? Yeah. I mean, do you give up? Just, you know, hoping that tomorrow will be better or, or next week or next month or, I mean, even next year. I mean, sometimes you just kind of throw in the towel and say, oh, okay, you know, it's over. We're we're done this year, or today. But the, you know, the way you ultimately finish depends on how you deal with a bad day, a bad week, and a bad month. But you have to change. Yeah, that's right. I think we kind of hope away uh, the the bad week or bad month, mm-hmm. um, and say, well, I just need to get to next month, and, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll have we'll a be fresh than start. You know, I hear people do that at the end of the year. I just need to get twenty twenty one over. Mm-hmm. You know, as right. if the change in the calendar was magically going to make a big difference. Right. Like Kathleen said, you have to change. And I, I think often of Dr. Kurt Williams in Ellsworth, Kansas. He's a coaching um, client of ours and has been uh, and a good friend for a long, long time. And uh, he has an amazing team in Ellsworth, Kansas, middle of, um, you know, uh, America. Yeah. Just good old... Uh, um, Midwest, and I can't tell you how many times he's called or emailed me to share a story of adversity that basically ended up in success after he led his team back to the basics. Well, and I think that's what you have to do. Even if you're losing, you have to get back to the basics. And if you're winning, same thing. You have to get back to the basics. And that's like the image that we think about in March Madness. It's more in any sport, but you, you root for the underdog, you know, definitely. But it's awesome to see when a team is trailing, even in the final seconds of the game. And you know there's no chance of a comeback. But the 
you know, the coach has the team circle up. You know, you see it. He calmly goes over on his little whiteboard. You know, what, what we're going to do next. Well, here's the play we're going to go with. And I love watching those players because, you know, if they're just basically despondent and eye-rolling or, you know, just they've given up. Or maybe, you know, they have panic in their eyes when they start, but they leave the huddle with just confidence and mm-hmm. kind of a, you know, a deep sense of, okay, I, I know the game plan. So even if they lose... It gives the players more inspiration, you know, practice at least in the next couple of days. That's right. And, you know, like you said, Kathleen, it's um, the coach who can calmly go to the huddle yes. uh, makes a big difference. Here's a question. Doctors, leaders, what would your timeout look like in the final seconds of a game if you were behind? Uh, what if you were charged with leading Baylor or the BYU Cougars from a 25-point deficit to some, some sort of redemption? You know, are you going to hide out in the locker room and just yeah. <laughs> wait until the game's over? Um, or would you huddle up with your team and focus on the next play? Well, and then, you know, let's talk about the reaction a team gets from its fans and, you know, sports writers after a loss. It can be bad, mm-hmm. painful Ooh. for those players and coaches. I mean, look at Kentucky. I mean, they some picked them to go all the way. And, you know, people were brutal. Yeah. And, again, just like you said at the beginning of this, these kids are athletes in school. Mm-hmm. I mean, some are 18, 19 years old. It's, yep. That's a lot. It is a lot. And uh, I am sure, I'm, I'm pretty confident that those, those teams, those coaches are really good at helping redirect their, their team, redirect mm-hmm. their players and saying, hey, don't, don't listen to the, the noise. You know, that mm-hmm. criticism can be just as harsh in dental practices when mm-hmm. team members or doctors react emotionally. Um, and we see that. We see that. It's very hard to be calm when things aren't going well. Or it's very mm-hmm. hard to be calm when um, somebody is criticizing you or pointing, you know, pointing fingers. Mm-hmm. I love um, John Wooden and just his yes. legacy with UCLA. I mean, he's got all kinds of things, all kinds of pearls and wisdom that we can um, we can can utilize. But when he said, when, not only oh, go ahead. yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah. No, he said, uh, you know, not, not only do you need to let the criticism roll off your back, but don't take the praise you receive too seriously either. Well, and that's that's exactly <laughs> what I mean. It's just like he said, both are weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So don't read the good press or the crummy reviews because, um, I mean, in your practice regarding our successes, too highly can cause the rest of our, you know, of, of our previous achievements. You don't want to be overconfident and you don't want to feel like you have it all figured out. Yeah, but. that's exactly right. We've got to um, make sure that we're not relaxing too much. I see that happen a lot. We'll have a dental mm-hmm. practice. They'll have a their best cycle ever, followed by their worst ever. <laughs> and yes. it's because, you know, they they get caught up in the, I guess, create a little too bit much busyness and maybe aren't managing their schedule real well, but mm-hmm. um, they kind of relax. It's like, oh, we got this. And they mm-hmm. let go the things that are so important, not necessarily urgent, but extremely important um, because they think they've got it figured out. And that's not where we want to be. Well, and just like we don't want to celebrate our successes, we need to, you know, find that balance. But it does help us recognize contributions of others, just like the bench players that come in when things are going well, but also encourage others, you know, when things aren't going so well. So if if you're not having a great day, you got stuck in traffic, you come in in a bad mood, and somebody says, you know what, 
I'll do this for you. I'll, you know, I'll help out. It just makes you so appreciative and you want to cheer that person mm -hmm. on too. It's a team effort. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said. We've got to find that balance. We still celebrate, but we don't let it go to our head. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's important. All right, Kathleen, let's recap. So our four points, four lessons we learned from March Madness to take into the dental office. Okay, so those with the deepest benches survive the madness. Okay, yeah, I mean, what needs to happen to improve the skill level of the less experienced members of your team? That's how you get a deep bench. Yeah. Second one, don't be a ball hog. What do you need to let go of or delegate? You gotta be prepared, that's number three. Are you spending too much time working on the practice? Or are you just reacting to whatever comes your way? Ooh. Yeah, are you are you spending, you can't spend too much time working on the practice, but we want to make sure that we're definitely spending some time doing that. Uh, fourth, don't get too caught up in your successes or failures. Don't forget mm -hmm. to celebrate, but keep your focus on the big picture and get back to basics when things aren't headed in the right direction. And last but not least, go Hogs. Woo, Woo Pig! Pig Are you on the verge of burnout? Is stress ruining your love for dentistry? Are you working too hard for the money you're bringing home? If you're ready to kick the Sunday night blues to the curb, join us in Dallas, April 27th through 29th for our flagship event, the Mission Possible Case Acceptance Super Conference. For more information and to register, just click the link in the show notes.